David Pettit's podcast. In Napoli, where love is king, when boy meets girl, here's what they say. When the moon hits your eye like a big pizza pie, that's amore. When the world seems to shine like you've had too much wine, that's amore. Bells will ring, tingle-ling-a-ling, tingle-ling-a-ling, and you'll sing Vita Bella. Hearts to play, tippy-tippy-tay, tippy-tippy-tay, like a guitar and When the stars make you drool, just like a pastefazool, that's amore. When you dance down the street with a cloud at your feet, you're in love. When you walk in a dream, but you know you're not dreaming, signore. Excuse me, but you see back in old Napoli, that's amore. All right. <laughs> Hello and welcome to Diva Medic's Diabetes Late Night Podcast. Thank you for joining us. I'm your host, Mr. Diva Bedek, and I'm so glad we're spending time together tonight. Thank you so much. Uh, you just heard a snippet from one of my all-time favorite Dean Martin songs, That's Amore, written by Harry Warren and Jack Brooks. And if you didn't know it already, amore, pronounced amore, means love in Italian, which is our theme for tonight's podcast. Dean Martin is inspiring us to talk about love, Italians, drinking, alcohol, and diabetes. And I'm going to be talking with four amazing women, including Fran Carpentier, Mama Rosemarie, Lynn Steger, and Dr. Janice Rosler. And throughout this podcast, we're going to be featuring more great music from Dean Martin um, from the album, The Essential Dean Martin, courtesy of Sony Music. Continuing our year of the dude at Divabetic, because we're spotlighting our favorite male entertainers throughout this year. And coming up in March, we're going to have music from Prince. Um, I'm so excited about that. And later on this year, we'll have Frank Sinatra and some other really big names. So if you have any favorites, you should email me at mrdivabetic at gmail.com or put something in our Facebook or Twitter pages and let me know who you'd like us to be featuring on an upcoming podcast. On this show, we're going to Focus on 50 years of living well with type 1 diabetes, alcohol's effects of blood sugar on blood sugar levels, the Spare Rose Save a Child campaign, and sexual health issues related to diabetes, as well as all things Italian. And if you didn't know it already, I am Italian, so that's part of why I want to do this show tonight. After 19 years of, I mean, 19 years of doing diabetes outreach. 12 years of doing this podcast, I thought it was time to do something Italian for my uh, that side of my family. Uh, but the real inspiration for those listening for tonight's show is the that 2022 marks a significant milestone in diabetes treatment. It's the 100th anniversary of the first person receiving an insulin injection. His name was Leonard Thompson. He was in Toronto, Canada, and he was 14 years old. 
And I think that's a moray because uh, how much has that changed all our lives? I'm, I'm just so thrilled to uh, make mention and hope you note that and do some Google Leonard Thompson, find out more about the discovery of insulin and how this amazing discovery has made our lives so much better. I have a brother living with type 1, so uh, it strikes close to home for me as well as all the members of our diabetic family. My own grandmother also was living with diabetes, so my mom and my cousin are going to tell us a little bit about their memories of her diagnosis. And Fran Carpentier, who's like this amazing maven in New York City, she was diagnosed in the late 60s. She's going to share what it was like to be diagnosed back then as well as today. And then coming up, because it's February, we're going to open the Divabetic Love Line with Dr. Janice Rosler. She's a sex therapist, a family counselor, a diabetes educator, a new, and she is a registered dietitian. I think she has five more titles than that. But she's going to be answering all of your questions about love, intimacy, and diabetes. Several people have been posting them already, so I have a long list. list. But if you want to call in to the Love Line later on, probably about 640, you could dial 347-215-8551 and speak directly with Dr. Janice Rosler. Plus, tonight, we're going to ask you to donate to the International Diabetes Federation Sparrows Save a Child campaign. You know, for the last five years, uh, Divabeck has been part of this program through Diabetes Podcast Week, which was spearheaded by Stacey Sims, and we're just going to make sure that you take a minute and think about instead of buying a rose to donate that money to life-saving diabetes supplies, medications, and education for children with type 1 diabetes in developing countries. Um, you could go to idf.org. That's the International Diabetes Federation. It's a great program. Always proud to be part of that every February. Uh, after this musical break, though, I'm going to tell you more about what's going on at Divabetic. You could probably hear, you know by now that I get excited and talk too fast, but there is a lot of great stuff happening at Divabetic that I can't wait to share. But our musical inspiration, Dean Martin, is going to make me wait a minute because he was nicknamed the King of Cool. His big break uh, came when he was performing in the duo with comedian Jerry Lewis, who was diagnosed with type 1 diabetes later in life at the age of 71. After these two entertainers went their separate ways, Dean Martin pursued a solo career. He established himself as a singer, a movie star, and a TV star. But did you know that he was once an amateur boxer? He boxed under the name of Kid, the name was Kid Crotchet. That's such an awful name, but oh well. Uh, I think he found a better way to go with Dean Martin. He records... (laughs) His uh, his record included 24 wins and six losses in 30 bouts of boxing. Here's probably one of his more popular songs, Sway, courtesy of Sony Music. Let's listen. When marimba rhythms start to play Dance with me, make me sway Like a lazy ocean hugs the shore Hold me close, sway me more Like a flower bending in the breeze Bend with me, sway with ease When we dance you have a way with me Stay with me, sway with me 
All right, we're back. This is Mr. Divabetic. Thanks for tuning into our Divabetic podcast for February. You know, we have 12 years of podcasts to listen to available on Blog Talk Radio, iTunes, and now on Spotify. They're all available for free on demand. It's an incredible record. I'm thrilled and so proud of our body of work. I've interviewed so many incredible educators across the country, as well as divas and dudes living with diabetes. Definitely take a minute to check out some of those shows. So um, let me tell you what's going on. Maybe one of the shows you want to check out is our annual mystery podcast. This year's uh, podcast, Christmas Peril, which debuted back in September, was a rating hit. It's like blowing up all over um, Blog Talk Radio. They just sent me a message about it. So thank you all for checking that out. Uh, It's a really fun, entertaining way to learn about diabetes, and it's available on demand at iTunes, Spotify, and Blog Talk Radio. And, yes, the Divabetic Playhouse has, is, will be resuming very shortly. I've already started working on this year's script, so don't worry about that. Now, if uh, you're not doing anything tomorrow night, why not continue to be my Valentine and join me for Divabetic's baking party on Zoom starting at 7 p.m. My special guest, uh, the diabetic pastry chef, Stacey Harris, and I have been rehearsing, and she let it slip out to me that she's going to be making cake truffles with uh, popular sugar substitutes. Plus, Divabetic Image and Style Advisor Catherine Schuler is going to fit, share 50 shades of red. Actually, no, it's five shades of red. And uh, she'll be showing you all the shades you want to be wearing this next year. Plus, we're going to be giving away a great gift basket filled with Splenda products, Walden Farm salad dressings, Tanya Cappy's Camper Cozy Mystery Paperback, and Peak 10 Save Your Souls Rescue Tre- uh, Cream. You could register now at Eventbrite. And finally... If you don't think that's enough going on at Divabetic, I am hosting a Luther Vandross listening party on Zoom with my good friend, DJ Leon Petrosen, starting at 3 p.m. on Saturday, February 19th. We're going to play the second album from the group Luther. This is before he came out as Luther Vandross and recorded Never Too Much. He did two albums on which uh, he worked with three of his friends, and we're going to be spotlighting all that music from the early Luther years, uh, leading up to April, which is Luther's birthday month. So you could check out all that. All right. Well, now I get to introduce my first guest. She's a, she is lovely and vivacious. Let's just put it that way. I can't wait for you to hear this interview. She was fantastic. Fran Carpentier spent most of her 30 years in journalism working as a senior editor of Parade Magazine. That's that National Sunday Supplement magazine that actually reaches like 70 million readers coast to coast. Fran conceived, edited, and wrote articles for Parade Magazine on topics ranging from heart throbs to heart disease and everything in between. Um, she's been living with type 1 diabetes for a long time. We met, we met like, oh, my gosh, let's go back to 2006. So let's hear this interview with Fran. Um, I'm thrilled to introduce her, and I hope you enjoy it as much as I enjoy talking to her. Hi, Fran. Thanks for being a guest on our podcast tonight. Oh, my goodness. Thank you so much for asking me. You know, uh, we go all the way back to 2006 when you attended Divabetic's biggest outreach program called Divabetic Makeover Your Diabetes at Gotham Hall in New York City. And I'm just curious if you have any memories of that moment. Oh, God. Uh, I remember fun, fabulous people, great energy. And I remember thinking uh, the first time I saw you that Brad Pitt had nothing on you and you you needed to, you know, get yourself to Hollywood right away. That's what I remember. 
<laughs> and I remember being scared to death when they told me that the senior editor from Parade Magazine was coming. I was like, oh, wow, this is really happening. Oh, okay. please. No, so, again, thank you. Yeah, it was, it was, it was, those were fun years, uh, great gig, uh, and I just, it was great because, you know, that was really the uh, the days of the power of print, and while I was there, we had the magazine, the Sunday newspaper magazine, we reached 73 million readers every week. I mean, nothing came close. We were like the Super Bowl of print. I think a lot of people don't realize that. Um, so I had access to so many people, like the top celebrities, the best-selling authors, the leading um, you know, people in Washington, D.C., leading scientific researchers. And I will tell you that <clears throat> I kind of used that, use may be the wrong word, to – get to know or get in front of as many experts in diabetes as I could. And then I would, you know, kind I would oversee every November, certainly, if not more than once a year, we would do as most places did, you know, a diabetes story, like what's going on with diabetes, you know, what's new, you know, where's the hope, where are we going? So that was really what I, what I, I, I loved. I loved, you know, meeting um, medical experts and, and all the research people. No, I mean, I think it's exciting. I mean, tonight we're talking about how um, 2022 marks the 100th anniversary of the, of the first patient, Leonard Thompson, receiving the first injection of insulin. So it's kind of interesting to just track back with you because that, you worked at wow. Parade Magazine how long ago now? Oh, my God. So I, I, I've been gone Jesus, since 2011, how did that happen? That's like, wow, that's over 10 years. That's crazy. But I was there like, oh, my God, I was there so long. I was there like 30 years. And that doesn't happen anymore. All right. People don't kind of stay in one place. So you, I mean, so let's just talk about that because so much happened from mm-hmm. the moment you walked into the parade till today in diabetes self-care management. And I guess we should oh, go totally. all the way back first and tell people, you were you were diagnosed with type one diabetes at age fourteen, right here yes. in New York City. So let's start mm-hmm. there first and just tell us a little bit sure. about what what that was like. Because Leonard Thompson and you were both fourteen. <laughs> I think that's kind of interesting. For <laughs> oh, people. I didn't realize I that. that. I didn't know that about him. So yeah. I had the day of diagnosis, and I think anyone, especially I think type one people, you never forget that day of diagnosis. And okay, I was a month a month into my fourteenth year. But I had had all the classic symptoms for many weeks prior, but at the time, I, you know, I didn't know. My parents didn't know what they were symptoms of, you know, like the unquenchable thirst, the rapid weight loss, the exhaustion, exhaustion beyond belief. Like I, I actually remember one day my, my mom and I, it was April of 1969, and we were shopping like for my, my shoes for the upcoming school year, right? I was going to, you know, Catholic high school, I, you know, on the – I'm the product of 12 years of parochial school education. By the way, Dr. Anthony Fauci did attend my grammar school, Our Lady of Guadalupe, in Brooklyn. Just pointing that out there, okay? Just pointing that out. He was in my cousin Isabel's class. He was in my cousin Isabel's class. Anyway, um, and we're shopping. Of course, you went like months ahead because you had to have a uniform and blah, blah, blah. And I remember we're shopping in downtown Brooklyn, and I remember saying to my mom, Mom, I'm so tired. I can't walk. And she said, you know, Francis, I'm really tired, too. Once we get this, we're going to go home. And I said, no, Mama, you don't understand. I feel like I'm dying. And, in fact, you really are dying, right? Because I was – I don't know how I didn't go into de, uh, ketoacidosis. I just – I really don't understand right. that, as my mother would say, by the grace of God. So we visited a family friend for lunch one day, and he happened to be uh, a biology professor who moved as a pharmacist, and my mother was telling 
his wife, who was uh, her best friend, about how Fran's been so weird lately. You know, she's just, I don't know what's wrong with her. And he, of course, immediately knew these were symptoms of, you know, what we then used to call juvenile diabetes. And he went into one room and came out, and he brought a little thing of test tape, right, that ridiculous little, you know, what we used to use diagnostic tool, which now really just seems like, you know, it's like all witchcraft in those days, right? And he said, well, you wake up tomorrow morning, do a urine test, and if it changes colors, if the tape changes colors, it doesn't really mean anything, which of course it does, but if it changes colors, call your doctor. And so, lo and behold, the next morning I, I you know, pee on the tape, it all but disintegrates, and it just so happened, my father had a service station in Brooklyn, lovely man, my dad, my late dad and my late mom, and one of his customers was a cardiologist who happened to come by that day for service on his car. My father's saying, oh, my God, I don't know, something's wrong with Francis. In those days, I was Francis, right, not Fran. I'm totally a sophisticate now, right, Fran. And this <laughs> cardiologist, I mean, when you say, like, kismet or fate, he happened to be best friends. He had served in the war with a wonderful doctor. We didn't call them diabetologists in those days, an endocrinologist, Dr. Milton Handelsman, who actually had trained with Elliot Joslin. He was like the diabetes doctor in New York. I mean, that's just, that's crazy, right? And he said to my dad, you know, it takes months to see this doctor, but let me call him. And I was at the doctor's office within an hour. And just the loveliest, just the loveliest, loveliest, such a gentleman. And, you know, of course, my mom and dad are with me, and my mother took one of my aunts. My mother was one of 15 children, big Italian family. So Aunt Elizabeth came. <laughs> oh, my God. Sort of, yeah, no, this was, I mean, it was, okay. I, mean, I will tell you everything. I don't know how much time you have. I'll tell you everything. So we go <laughs> see Dr. Handelsman. And, you know, I'm a, little, I'm a little nervous. I don't know what's about to happen. And he starts explaining that I have diabetes. And at that word, my mother, like, ah! And she, like, she collapses and falls on the floor. So, you know, we pick her up, right? We pick her up. My aunt picks her up. I pick her up. And we're, like, they're fanning her, and they're getting smelling salts. And then Dr. Hanelisman says, no, no, you know, Mrs. Carpentier, you don't have to worry, you know, so much because if this, you know, now we have insulin. If this were, like, you know, 40 years ago, Francis would be dead. At which point, ah, my mother falls again, collapses and faints on the floor again. The nurse comes in, the smelling salts were picking her up. It was very dramatic. Like, you have to think of, like, that actress, Anna Magnana, like the Italian yeah. neorealism actress. It was very dramatic, uh, Max. So the doctor then said to me, you know, you seem like a smart kid. Normally, I would put you in the hospital for a week. He said, but I can tell I would need two beds, one for you and one for your mom. So oh, I'm going to send you home. I'm going to send you home. He said, but... You know, you'll come back again tomorrow, but we're going to teach you to give yourself injections. No, first he said, you'll need injections. And I said, oh, I get allergy injections once a week. He said, no, you'll have to take, like, these every day, at which point my mother started to faint, but at this point we knew we grabbed her so she didn't hit the floor. So, I, I mean, I was, you know, at first, I mean, this is, this is, you know, my life has changed, right? And that evening my mother's including Aunt Elizabeth. So my mother's ten sisters, all of my aunts, came over, you know, from throughout the New York area to mourn me, to mourn me. And oh I remember Aunt Rosie walking in. Just Look at just what it was. It was so much – it was just ignorance and fear. And I think I, we'll talk about that more. There, there's just still a lot of ignorance and fear, and there should not be, and I, I don't have any patience with that. 
But my Aunt Rosie, who had driven in from Long Island, I still see her in my mind's eye. Like She's like, shows up in the kitchen door, and she says to my mom, don't, Stella, Francis could always adopt children the way I had to. At which point, my mother then faints onto the linoleum floor for the third time. So... You know, oh even my then, gosh. I, so no, were, it was really, you, I'm really, this is a movie. This is a movie, Max. But I, no, it is. I, but were you is, really in is. charge then, Fran? Were you really I, in charge? No, char- I'm going to be mean, frank with you. you. Yes, yes, I'm going to tell you, yes, I was. Because, but if you hear a little, little noise, that's my insulin pump telling me that my glucose sensor isn't working right now. But it'll, it'll behave itself. Um, and again, I had the best parents, very caring my parents, they're very simple people, loving, simple people. I mean, my parents, you know, I don't even know if either of them ever graduated high school. So my mother changed all of her cooking, very Italian, you know, cooking, and we could talk about that if you want. But my mother started really heavy with many more green vegetables, right? So like pasta vedora, you know, as opposed to just like pastas, right? She did that. My parents were not whether it's educated enough or savvy enough, they were not the type of people who knew how to start, you know, something like the Juvenile Diabetes Research Foundation, right? But they sure knew how to take care of me. That said, you know what, Max, I was like, I was a smart, you know, I was like the head of my class. I think that I had enough sense of self that um, I wasn't like ashamed of it. I spent a lot of time, I still do, explaining what diabetes means to people, you know. Um, but, like, my mother, she couldn't even, like, touch a syringe, and I think she just felt so sorry for me. And I'll be honest with you, I spent those early days and really most of my life, like, allaying my parents' fears, allaying my parents' fears. Um, my mother, I, I, will, I will tell you this, too, um, and I don't know jumping around, so remember, you're steering the ship here. You're the boss. When my first marriage, you know, I was very Catholic. I was very young. I married a man who I thought I'd be married to for the rest of my life at age 22. And on my wedding day, as they're putting my veil, you know, lowering the veil, you know, on my, you know, my face, my mother said to me, she's crying, and she said, Francis, I just want to tell you, don't have children, you'll die. And I'm like, what? And this is, this is before Steel Magnolia is mine, you know, okay? And we'll, we'll talk about that, too, if you want. <laughs> So no, I, I do because I, I want to. I want to hear the. Yeah. I want to talk about how it was growing up as a girl yeah, into a sure. woman, into a wife, into oh, a sure. mother. Yeah, sure. this is great. Did you I'm believe sorry? her when she said that to you? I don't know why, Max. I truly don't know why. I never took in the negative messaging, and there was a lot of it. And that's the first part of our interview with Fran. Which the woman's a ball of fire. Now you know why I was nervous when she came to see my first major event in New York City at Gotham Hall. I mean, she is a, a total delight. But this, she is just so captivating. Uh, if I was, if you're going to name a diva, uh, someone after Diva Bedek, you're going to say Fran because that's what that was. I, I was just, uh, I'm so thrilled that I got to share that with you. I hope you, you heard all the joy and fun in her voice and just. Uh, the expressions, and that's part of the reason why we're playing Dean Martin today, because, oh, my gosh, Fran, with all her references to being Italian, my mother with the references to being Italian, that's going to come up. My cousin's going to be on the show. I just had to, like, get all that amore going on. So 
Um, we're having a great time uh, listening to that. I am. And uh, coming up, we're going to be opening the love lines a little bit later with Dr. Janice Rosler. Plus, Mama Rosemary joins us to play a game, How Italian Are You? with her son, me. <laughs> but right now, let's hear some more Frank Sinatra. Volare. Oh, cantare. Oh, oh, oh. Let's fly way up to the clouds, away from the maddening crowd. We can sing in the glow of a star that I know of, where lovers enjoy peace of mind. Let us leave the confusion and all the illusion behind. Just like birds of a feather, a rainbow together we'll find. Volare, oh, e cantare, oh. All right, we're back. Um, that song, Valare, actually, for all our fans who were taking control of diabetes, you know that I was doing exercise routines to that <laughs> all in North Carolina. I think it was in Arizona. It was in California. It was down in uh, South Carolina. We had so much fun doing I had a, I came up with this workout routine where you're kind of like miming, making pizza, and throwing it, but it was like a workout routine to Valare. So um, I just thought that was fun. In this next part, Fran and I are going to talk about Mary Tyler Moore. And uh, she also talks about Nicole Johnson. What's interesting about Nicole Johnson is that Nicole Johnson was one of the hosts of D-Light TV, which I volunteered to work backstage. So I would be downstairs uh, talking to the crowd, playing games, doing like all my Mr. Divabetic stuff before I was ever Mr. Divabetic. And then people would go upstairs and sit in the um, audience for the taping and Nicole Johnson was one of the hosts. Mother Love was one of the hosts and so forth. And it was such a great time. And I met so many great people, including Dr. Janice Rosler, who's coming up. And I know Fran was there too. But in this next part, Fran and I just kind of talk a little bit about Mary Tyler Moore because, you know, you have to remember, like I started back in 2003 and I am in New York City. And at that time, I just had these opportunities, which I don't really think are available today. Like I was going to the JDRF walk and Mary Tyler Moore was right there, like an arm's reach away from me. Um, I don't know if that happens today. I hope it happens for educators and, and advocates out there. I hope you guys are getting all the opportunities I had to really get out there and help people um, you know, change their attitude, change, empower them, inspire them to, to live well with diabetes, just like you're going to hear Fran say in this next part. Okay, enjoy. I'm assuming you had to meet Mary Tyler Moore at some point. Maybe I'm, oh, I need yes. to tell oh, me no, if you did or not. Yeah, I'm yeah, just yeah. wondering, no, like, in... how, how did the celebrities with diabetes impact you, and what role do you think they serve to our community? I think they serve a tremendous role, tremendous, because, listen, we're all human. We all look up to celebrities, and it's kind of like, well, she or he didn't let this stop him or her, right? Look, she's glamorous. Look, I remember when Miss America, uh, Nicole Johnson, no, she was right. a type 1 diabetic. She became Miss America. Hello, I got her on the cover of Parade magazine. I went to interview her in Boston with uh, Sugar Ray Leonard, who – later than got involved working 
for like doing being a spokesperson for JDRF, I think I'm the one that made that happen because I talked all about the diabetes during this interview. We had so much fun, me and um, Sugar Ray and Nicole. Okay, um, Mary Tyler Moore. Actually, I I think you could still Google it. I was in a public service announcement with Mary Tyler Moore. They they got a bunch of us who had been in research because I was one of the original. 200 and what ultimately became the 1,400 participants in the Diabetes Control and Complications Trial, the DCCT, 10-year federal trial into Mm -hmm. whether you could prevent or slow the development of complications in diabetes. So any, really everything we we know, the new stuff, like you talk about keep your A1C below 7. Well, I'm in the research group that proved that. We proved all this stuff. Everything came out in 1993. That is one of the things I'm proudest of in my life that I was in the DCCT and the outgrowth of that is now called the EDIC epidemiology of uh, diabetes intervention and complications so better to call it the DCCT so how did, how did EDIC Mary, <laughs> telling this, how, how did Mary Tyler Moore manage her diabetes like you were around her you were filming that okay. commercial like what, I'm was, what say, was your perception sure sure okay I'm going to say and I don't have like I'm not privy to private information the best thing she ever did was become a spokesperson. I mean, obviously the best thing. She was so successful on TV. I'm not, I'm not taking from that. She did so much for us. And I do think from being exposed to her, I think it gave her, it refreshed her, what am I going to say, her brand, her celebrity. I mean, she started going down to Congress with the, chil- with the, uh, the Children's Congress, um, a mission of the Juvenile Diabetes Research Foundation, to, to raise, you know, government support for research. So this was wonderful. What I am going to tell you, and again, I'm, I'm thinking, oh, God, is her, is her um, you know, her widow or her husband, uh, Dr. Robert Levine, is he listening, going to listen to this? He was, and I tease my husband about this to this day mercilessly, he was so in love with her, but the best caretaker he hovered around her he took such good care of her now i don't know about like you know did she follow the line and i just want to i want to make a point clear here bad things can happen when you have diabetes they really can they don't have to but for some reason there are people who do everything right and yet still develop these complications right and we, they sort of know why, or they don't mean they, meaning science, doesn't know why or whatever. So, yes, you always have to take care of yourself. Mary Tyler Moore, she was really, like, blind by the end of her life. And she had, she was losing her sight for many years. She did not want that known. Now, I was at um, the Promenade That's the New York City chapter of JDRF. We have a, a, a fundraiser every year. It's a wonderful gal. I've, I've been on the, the planning committee for about 15 or 20 years. And, of course, Mary Tyler Moore would be there every year and be a spokesperson. The end years of her life, it was obvious she could not see. She was being led to the stage, okay? But she, she, would, not, um, she would not talk about that. And her husband and JDRF, we were very protective of her, okay? Um, I, if I don't have time, I have a story. I wanted her when, yeah, and this is like several years before she died. We, again, we, like most publications, every November we did a story about, you know, diabetes because it's, you know, National Diabetes Awareness Month. And I contacted her husband. I was on a committee with him. I've, I've been on, like, lots of committees, you know, the Promise Ball Committee. I was on, like, the – we used to have a magazine called Countdown. I, I've been very involved with JDRF as a volunteer for, like, 30 years, more than 30 years. <clears throat> so I called Dr. Levine, 
and I said, look, I'm, gonna, I'm in charge of this, you know, this issue in November. I would love Mary to write a story, an honest story, about her struggle with diabetes, you know, and how important it is to take care of yourself. It would be her byline. I will work with her on that. I mean, in other words, she doesn't really, you know, she doesn't really have to write it. I could interview her. We'll put it together. She'll have approval, blah, blah, blah. And he said to me, I hope I don't get in trouble for this next, for saying this. He said, no, 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 friend, she won't do that. She, she can't do that. And the reason being, and you can understand this, Max, because, you know, you've had, you know, you've worked with top celebrities. She didn't want it out there in the ether that she was not well, because then she would not get work, right? Because then you're not going to get a TV part or a movie part, because the movie production or the TV production people cannot insure you. And when he told me that, Listen, I, was, I, I nearly fell out of my, my, my chair at my desk because I said, this woman at, pretty much had been like one of the most powerful women in Hollywood just because of her TV show, like the Mary Tyler Moore show, then she had like a variety show, then she and her former husband, Grant Tinker, right, was it like was it MTM Productions, they owned all these sitcoms, and I remember thinking, she's worried she's not going to get work? Are you kidding me? But that's the reality. And I would have loved if she would have written the first-person piece and talked about, you know, don't be afraid to let people know you, know you have diabetes. You know, there's so many things you can do to take care of yourself and, you know, to make sure you get the best care. But she didn't want to do it. I totally understood that. But I was still, I was shocked and I was disappointed. But we don't want it. We're not going to focus on the bad, right? I've had my own difficulty over the years when I speak out about what happened to my former boss, Luther Vandross, from suffering yeah. um, a stroke from mismanaging type 2 diabetes. And it's true. I do. I get a lot of uh, pushback on that. But she said something really important in that interview. See, I had a grandmother who was living with diabetes, so I knew the term diabetes. But then when Luther had the stroke, I had no knowledge. I, no one had ever informed me. I knew that Luther, I had to help refill his prescriptions. My grandmother had nothing. I was a very young child. I didn't have anything to do with her diabetes. But still, you know, I, when someone you're working for or, you know, that was my boss. But, I mean, I just imagine if it's a family member, uh, husband, spouse, daughter, child, whatever, um, when you find them on the floor after having a stroke, you kind of go through your mind, like, why didn't someone tell me more? So I also understand from the standpoint of working with Luther, that's very true. Some of celebrities will not come out about a diagnosis or they're very kind of flim-flam. Uh, I'm thinking of Halle Berry about what type of diabetes she has. I know a lot of people get angry about that, but they're, they're, Fran really spoke eloquently about the issue about not getting insurance. And even though, uh, she told you, even though someone seems so big, that why would that stop them? It still stops them. So I, I think, you know, it's a slippery slope with who comes out and who doesn't regarding their diagnosis. But for you, the person listening right now, um, if you're not an A-lister, and I hope you are, but if you're not in, in terms of celebrity, uh, then please talk to your family members about your diabetes and how to treat highs and lows and where the insulin is and where the oral medications are and where your fast acting sugars are. Cause that could really help someone. And you don't want to be me. That's why I've been doing this for 19 years to stop that from happening to someone else. 
So uh, before we move on and talk to my mom and my cousin, I just want to tell you, 20 years ago, Fran received the President's Award from the Juvenile Diabetes Research Foundation in recognition of the volunteer work as a patient advocate for and as a role model for girls and young women coping with diabetes. She's in, incredible. So, so glad she could join us on the show. All right, we're going to come right back and uh, talk more about all things Italian. I had an Aunt Rosie too, Fran, so my mom's going to tell me a little bit about Aunt Rosie, and my cousin Lynn's going to tell me about my grandmother and my grandfather right back after this break. But first, Dean Martin's going to sing his signature song, Memories Are Made of This, courtesy of Sony Music. Take one fresh and tender kiss one Stolen night of bliss. One girl, one boy, some grief, some joy. Memories are made of this. All right, welcome back to Diabetes Late Night. You know, coming up, we're going to open up the love line with Dr. Janice Rosler and take your questions about love and intimacy and romance regarding diabetes. But first, we're going to go a little bit, dive a little bit deeper into my Italian heritage with two fabulous women, including my mother, Mama Rosemary. Hello, Mom. Hello. Thanks for having me and on. My co- yes, yes. <laughs> and my cousin, Lynn Zinni Steger. I don't think she's heard her maiden name in a long time. Hi, Lynn. Thanks for joining us. <laughs> Hi, Bill. Thanks for having me. Okay, so I, uh, my mom's family uh, is from Batavia. My mother's from Batavia, and my cousin Lynn was just a few years, what, 14 years younger than my mom. My mom was the youngest of five children. Lynn, in your early years, you lived mm-hmm. above my, my grandparents in the same house in Batavia. So, Mom, uh, since your mother was from Sicily, your father was from Imbruzzi, what do you, what do you, what, how would you define being Italian to people? Like, what do you, what comes to mind when you think of how you describe being Italian? Oh, it's pretty difficult. I think um, uh, I'm going to say I think it was loving, or loving in the closeness of family. That was the most important thing. I think it was my aunts lived around the corner. My brother lived upstairs with Glenn. Uh, it was just the closeness of having family around. And I think that was so important at that time. You always had the comfort and um, of having someone there for you. So uh, that's what I think and about it. When I think about it being Italian, that's what I think. Lynn? Yeah, Lynn, I what do you think? Because you I, had four, four grandparents who were Italian too. So. <laughs> right. And it's interesting that both of my grandmothers were actually born in the United States. So they were first-generation Americans, and their parents were from Italy, and both of my grandfathers were from Italy. And when I think of being Italian, I also agree with my Aunt Rosemary that it definitely has to do with love um, and support. And nowadays, people are scattered all over the country, Um, like my sisters are in different states, and my children are scattered, but you still have that love and you still have that closeness. And also I think a big part of being Italian has to do with the love of food 
and the love of <laughs> talking when you're eating and just that closeness. And I thank you because, you know, earlier on the show, Fran was telling us about how when she was diagnosed with type 1 diabetes, her mother had to change the whole menu. Now, my, Linda, my grandmother, Mary Dispenza Zinni, had diabetes, got diagnosed a little later in life. But, Mom, like my memory is of uh, being Italian is going to Sundays, spending Sundays with my grandparents and all my cousins and having the big meal where the kids are at one table in the kitchen and all the adults are in the other room in the dining room. Your mother was quite a cook. Tell us a little bit about that. Well, every Sunday was chicken Sunday. But before you had your roasted chicken, you had to have at least one dish of spaghetti. So every Sunday we had um, pasta and meatballs and um, chicken even in the sauce. And then we had roasted chicken and potatoes and carrots and salad and um, you just name it. It was a big feast every Sunday. But for dessert, we always had to have ice cream. So um, uh, that's my big memory of that. And probably uh, you have that memory, too, of, of having a big meal before the meal. Right. Yeah, and Lynn, yeah, I, remember sure. I remember her I remember for sure. Yes, yeah, homemade right? pasta, all pasta. different kinds. Ravioli, I can remember the ravioli were as big as the plate. Um, <laughs> and her, her, her sauce was the best ever. And she used to can her own tomatoes, so that, that was probably one of the reasons why it was so good. And speaking of ice cream, Aunt Rosemary, I, I reached out to both of my sisters to see what uh, memories they had of Grandma. And my sister Virginia remembers that often Grandma used to have sherbet instead of ice cream because that was thought to have less sugar at that time than ice cream. Right. Right. And if we brought her a box of candy, for, like on Valentine's Day, we had this one candy shop in Batavia, New York, and that shop, which we all loved, was Oliver's. The name of it was Oliver's. And they always had a box of sugar-free candy, and she just loved that. So that was an experience. We went through that, too. But as far as food for her is concerned, she just, she loved what we call greens. She liked all vegetables, so it was good for her that she liked those vegetables. I personally would have a hard time with that, but fortunately for her, she liked to have um, um, broccoli and cauliflower and all that stuff. Now, I know when she was was diagnosed, no one was really talking about her being type 1 or type 2, Lynn, but what do you do you have any memories since you were in that house of my grandmother and her diabetes? Um, the the only memory that I really have is that she had to give herself the insulin injection every morning, and I remember thinking how brave she must have been to be able to do that because I'm petrified of needles, and I, I think I would have had a hard time doing that. And um, my sister remembers that she used to soak her feet almost every day, and it was supposed to prevent infection that was diabetes-related? Mm-hmm. Yes. Yes, that's so true, Lynn. And also, um, 
talking about the needle injection, she was very afraid of that herself. She she gave herself one shot. Back then, they only had one shot every day, and she had a hard time with the injections. And she was told to practice it, practice on an orange. So she that's how she started with the injections. She really wanted a neighbor nurse to come over every morning to do that, but the nurse said, Mrs. Zinni, I can't come here every morning. They're going to have to learn how to do this. So she practiced on an orange. And when Fran was talking about the strips to see how your diabetes is being um, taken care of with the insulin, I remember her having to have those strips also. Having to realize no, it's interesting because this is all this is all over. like 30 mm-hmm. years after uh, Leonard Thompson got the first insulin injection. All right, so you know Dean Martin is known for drinking. So I also wanted to talk about my grandfather because he had a very unusual hobby. He was he he was a Mason, like Lynn said. He was um, born in Italy, came over at the age of 16 to America. But he had this unusual hobby, I think, for a man back then, Mom. He used to make his own wine. Tell us a little bit about Grandpa's uh, hobby of winemaking. Oh, well, he made wine every every fall. Um, I don't, he was one of five brothers, and I don't ever remember any of my uncles making wine, but this was my dad's thing to do. He, um, we had a, a large cellar, and in one part of the cellar, he kept it cold, and it was called the wine cellar. And it had barrels down there that he kept his wine in. And every fall he would order the grapes from California and um, uh, crush them or whatever he had to do with them uh, as far as making wine. But that was um, a signature thing of Uncle Dominic. He always shared his wine with his nephews. That was a big thing, Uncle Dominic's wine. And I can remember every Sunday morning after he and his friends attended church they would come over look at his garden and have a glass of wine with him and then what do you remember from that yeah. do you remember anything about grandpa's winemaking i do and and since i lived <laughs> in that house for 19 years i do remember the the section of the cellar um the basement or the cellar was all stone because I think that house was built in the late 1800s and it had different rooms and there was one room that was his wine wine cellar room with great big barrels, uh, oak barrels that he kept his wine in before he bottled it. And um, I was asking my dad and he said that Grandpa used to get his grapes from California and also Fredonia which is in mm-hmm. New York yes. State. And um, the one thing that I can remember that was so impressive was in the fall when he'd get these grapes, often they were full of fruit flies. And we lived in a second-floor apartment, and the fruit flies would come up through the registers, and they would just be covering everything. And we used to have this little portable television um that had the rabbit ear antennas, and I can still picture those antennas being covered with fruit flies from the grapes. <laughs> <laughs> so and we should tell everyone, 
Um, we should tell everyone, Lynn, your father, my uncle Dan, is 99 this year. Just so uh, I, I'm so glad you reached out to my mom's brother and asked him about this too. All right, so uh, before you both go, you know you're both full Italians, but everyone says I'm half Italian. So I had a, a quiz on how Italian are you that I wanted to play with you, hoping that you could educate me. Lynn, you're first. Okay, so Lynn, it's multiple choice. Uh, when Italian sa- when an Italian says gravy, what does it mean? Is it stew? Is it gazpacho? Or is it sauce? I hear it's sauce, when even though sauce? I don't think our family ever used that term for sauce, but I think it's sauce. <laughs> it is sauce. I'm looking for my buzzer. Yeah, it, Mom, no one ever called it sauce in our house, did they? No, no one. Ever I mean, no one ever called it gravy. You always go. Yeah, no right, right. It was always called soft. Mm-hmm. Okay, Mom, here's your question. Uh, okay. What is the symbol for good luck in Italian? Is it a horseshoe? Is it a corno? Or is it a rabbit's foot? Oh, my gosh. 80 years of... I... <laughs> I'm going to say a horseshoe. I hope it's luck. <laughs> I hope it's being luck, luck for being Italian. A... <laughs> do you want to call a friend or your niece right now? Lynn, what do you think the answer is? It, it's some kind of horn, and and I didn't understand what you said for the second choice. It is corn now, is, is horn. That's the, the Italian way of pronouncing it, I guess. A horn. Uh, okay, well, it's a horn. For Italian. Well, that's what I would have gone for if I would have known what you were talking about. Yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll talk but about I this like later. I'm, I'm, you're half right, Mom, like I'm half Italian. All right, final question for both of you, and we're going to move on and, and get to Dr. Janice talking about alcohol's effect on blood sugars. But uh, Lynn and Mom, what color is not in the Italian flag? Is it red, blue, or green? Blue. I'm what color say is blue. not in well, you both got Ooh. that right. All right. <laughs> yeah. well, we are you so much 100% Italian and proud of it. <laughs> All right. Well, thank Very you for nice. being part of the show tonight and giving everyone a little bit of insight into my family history as well. Thanks for joining us. Have a great night. And uh, here's a Thanks. song. Wait, before you leave, let's listen to some uh, Dean Martin, Everybody Loves Somebody, courtesy of Sony Music. Thanks, Len. Thanks, Mom, for joining us. Thank you. Bye. You're welcome. Everybody loves somebody somehow Everybody falls in love somehow Something in your kiss just told me My sometime is now Everybody finds somebody someplace My heart keeps saying, find some place is here. If I had it in my power, I'd arrange for every girl to have your charm. Then every minute, every hour, every boy would find what I found in your heart. All right, well.
Welcome back to Diabetes Late Night. It's time to open up the Diabetic Love Line with Dr. Janice Rosler. You know, she is a licensed, a board-certified sex therapist, licensed marriage and family therapist, certified clinical supervisor, licensed dietitian, nutritionist, and a certified diabetes care and education specialist. Welcome to the show, Janice, Dr. Janice. Hi, Dr. Janice. Max, hello. Hi. Hi to your family. Hi to Mary Tyler Moore. Hi to Dean Martin. Hi to Fran. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> and hi to your audience. How fun is this show? Uh, we're, having a, we're having a great time tonight, and I'm so glad you could fill in tonight for uh, Patricia Addy Gentle, who will be back on next month. So thanks for joining us tonight. We got so excited we started posting about you all over social media today. Open up the love wow. lines. Oh, lovely. So before we so get happy started, to be here. Thanks. just tell us how, how the trajectory in your education started because, like, I, don't, I think you're the only person I know who is a registered dietitian, sex therapist, <laughs> licensed marriage and family counselor, and diabetes um, care and education specialist. Well, do I sound like an overachiever to you? Oh, my gosh. A little um, bit. So what happened is I started out as a dietitian, registered dietitian. I still am, actually. And I started working with individuals with diabetes. I was working with a gentleman and about his diet and uh, went out into the lobby and saw a woman crying in the corner. Turned out that was his wife. And I sat down. I said, what, can I do anything for you? What's, you know, what's going on? And she said, I cannot take it anymore. I can't take it anymore. My husband's diabetes is destroying our relationship. And I had nothing to give her. I didn't have a book. I didn't have a pamphlet. I didn't have anything to recommend to her. And so I decided that this was an area that I needed to explore. And I started to learn more about relationships, started to learn more about diabetes and how it impacts all areas of romance and sexuality and just families. And that led me to my additional degrees because I wanted to get more background and get better at it. And all these things kind of all wound together. And I ended up doing a lot of uh, wonderful learning and a lot of wonderful work with a whole variety of different individuals with and without diabetes. I'm just curious, do you think other chronic conditions kind of – also could cover all the gamut like you just did, the cancer, for instance, or um, just, you know, when you, you know, you just um, zeroed in on diabetes. Have you seen like similarities across the whole health spectrum? Well, all chronic conditions can impact relationships. That goes with, that's really across the board. What's unique about diabetes is that there's a lot that people can do to improve their health. For example, if a person, God forbid, has cancer, you hope the treatments will work, and, and maybe they will, maybe they won't. And it's really a, a, a very different place to be in medically. Whereas with diabetes, if you start to um, take a little bit better care and make different choices and different lifestyle choices and different medication choices, you can really improve your life. You can improve your health. And actually I've seen people become healthier than their peers who do not have diabetes because they're not paying attention to anything and you are. 
So I love it because there's something that you can do about it. There's a lot of ways to improve. I love that attitude. All right, let's get right to the questions because a lot of people wrote in to us, and we did change names because some people did not want to have the questions with their names. So just to be uh, upfront with everyone. So Janice, Vivian from Baton Rouge wrote in, and she wanted to know, is it common for a woman to experience an orgasm during intercourse? So this may or- surprise people. This may surprise people because they may think it is, but it actually is not. It's not common. Only about uh, uh, half of women sometimes have orgasms during, you know, uh, penis-vaginal intercourse, and only one quarter, 25% of women have an orgasm that way on a reliable basis, like they can count on having it that way. So truly very, uh, very few women really look to that as their main sexual fulfillment. So I'm just curious if, so, because again, like a lot of people don't talk to this stuff with their doctors. If you're not, you know, a lot of people feel like they can't tell someone they're not experiencing an orgasm, right? Their partner. So if someone right now feels like they haven't experienced an orgasm with their partner, what resource would you point them to? Well, I'll tell you, there's, first of all, there's a whole variety of different, uh, YouTube videos that can that do talk about orgasm. There's, um, but there is a book that I really like, and the book is called "Come as You Are," and it's written by Emily Nagoski, and it's all about a woman's body. It's all about appreciating how we're different, how our bodies function, how things work, and in the back it gives directions on how to achieve an orgasm if you've never had one. Um, So that in itself is really fabulous. Uh, So helpful. Um, I've got to think of the name. There's um, a real fun, this woman, Dr. Lindsay Doe, has a series of videos. And I've got to remember the name of the videos. I'll look it up. A series of videos. On YouTube that instruct on all different types of sexual topics and the nice the thing that I have to warn your audience about is she covers so much in the world of sex that some of the things she covers may make some of your audience members blush she makes a, you know it's not all in one video but she has videos on all different types of things let me, as we go through, I'll, I'll, I'll search for it and I'll mention it when I find it online. For some reason, All right. sorry, the name just gave you me. No, this is good. All right, so we're back to the diabetic love line, and Susan from Salt Lake City wants to know if diabetes could cause her to lose sensation in her vagina. So here's the thing. Can she lose sensation? It is possible, yes. It is possible to have uh, a loss of sensation in the vaginal area for several reasons. One is that it's really important to have that area be lubricated, and, a lot, and there are a lot of women who, with diabetes, tend to produce less lubricant and end up with vaginal dryness. So sometimes that causes a numbing because you don't have the lubrication and doesn't, or doesn't feel good. The other thing, too, is that if a person's blood sugar level remains at a high level above their 
range, their healthy range that they've determined with their healthcare team for an extended period of time, and I'm talking months and years. If you're really running high, your A1C is in, you know, 10, 12, who knows, but it's way above where you want it to be, you can cause nerve damage. Actually, the American Diabetes Association says above 7, you can cause nerve damage, and other groups say above 6.5. So you can develop nerve damage, and we have nerves all throughout our body. And any area where, there, where we rely upon nerves to help us feel things, they can, the, those nerves can struggle and, that, and become damaged. And that's when diabetes gets, uh, is not well, well managed. All right, and we should tell everyone the love line is open at 347-215-8551. We have a caller I'm going to put on in a second, but I just want to finish this one conversation because you mentioned lubricants, and not all lubricants are equal when it comes to women with diabetes. You, uh, you've been on the show before and recommended specific lubricants for women with diabetes. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Well, well, I'll tell you, I have I have my favorite brands, but the thing is, it's really good to experiment with. There's so many different brands. There's different flavors. Some are warming, some are tingling, some do not do that at all. Some are um, uh, thicker. There's one brand that I like. It's called Uber Lube. It's a it's a, a really uh, a thicker lubricant that I know many women who have had vaginal pain during intercourse have found that by, by inserting some of this lubricant, they have felt better. Um, but you've got to really see what works for you. And they're sold in the grocery store and they're sold online. And the fun thing is that, especially if you have diabetes, there are sugar-free flavored lubricants and I've seen them in some really interesting flavors, birthday cake and all these different coconut chocolate cream, whatever. Just go online and experiment and see what you like but, and see what works for you. But glycerin lubricants you shouldn't be using, right? Women with diabetes should avoid a glycerin lubricant. Well, the the more natural lubricants are, tend to be better. The, um, a lot of women find that coconut oil works well. Olive oil works well. Um, But the one thing that it's important to be careful is if you're going to use any type of toys, any type of sex toys, read the guide. Sometimes they ask you not to use a certain type of lubricant because it starts to break down the coating on the toy. So that's really where you really want to watch out. But definitely, absolutely no petroleum jelly that does not belong in the vaginal area. Um, and, uh, and, and really anything that is truly made for the vaginal area is, is uh, available to give a try. So we're going to um, welcome our caller. They're calling in from area code 516. You're on the air with Dr. Janice on our love line tonight. Hello. Wow, nice to hear your voice, and I'm so glad this exists. Thank you so much for doing this. This is uh, Janice's old friend and colleague, Benno Schmidt. Oh my Hi, gosh, Benno, Benno. Thanks for joining us. Oh, my gosh. Hey, Benno. It's so good to hear from you. It's so great to hear from you, and this is such a great um, – This is I have to confess, Max, this is my first time listening to your podcast, and I'm so impressed. Um, and also, I have to say that your marketing efforts, as soon as I saw Janice on my Facebook feed, 
That's why I'm calling in. <laughs> Thank you. Twelve years later, I'm glad something finally connected. <laughs> no, it's, it's. I think it's great, and um, I think it's such a. It's such a. Um, I know about your dedication to diabetes from my experience with D Life, which was a program originally on CNBC all about diabetes. So I've known about you for a while, and I got to work with Janice on um, on D Life. Um, I guess if I could ask, is it okay if I ask a question? Yeah. Oh, sure. Love to hear it. I'm wondering if um, men's health is discussed, if Janice feels like men's health issues and erectile dysfunction, if those are discussed any better today than they were, I don't know, 10 years ago, um, in terms of checking on, like, your erectile dysfunction or sexual function as just like a regular potential complication for diabetes. Do you think it's talked about in the, in the right way or at all now? I think that's such a great question because I know when I met you, it was so taboo. It was such a secret thing, and we even called it a doorknob topic, which meant that as the doctor was closing the door to end <laughs> The, the session, all of a sudden, their patient would go, um, by the way, I have this, and, and it's a huge topic. You can't begin it as they're walking out the door. So I am so happy to say that it's, there's been a huge transformation. And the, way I know that it, and the way that I know that it's improved in terms of talking about it is that one thing that I do often is I speak to healthcare professionals about how to talk to their patients. And when I first started, I remember being at a CDC conference in Miami, a huge group, I think the room had about 300 people, and I posed this question. I said, how many of you routinely ask your patients about their, about their sexual satisfaction, about their sex life, when you meet with them to discuss their diabetes? And most of them looked down at their feet because, of course, then I wouldn't call on them. I saw two hands kind of, you know, go up a little bit, but basically nobody. Nobody was asking their patients. Why? Because healthcare professionals are human and shy and don't want to talk about sex, just like many of us don't want to talk about sex. And the thing about diabetes is there's so many things that must be discussed. And sessions are, you know, appointments with health care providers are so quick. They're limited in time. So the good news is that as I've been speaking more and more to over the years to healthcare professionals, they all run up to me. I say it every time. I ask all my patients. I do it too. I even had someone who was the head of diabetes for one of the countries in the Middle East. He came up to me and said, you know, I now ask everybody, and not only everybody, I never used to ask the women, and now I ask the women with diabetes about their sex lives and if there's anything we can do, the women with diabetes. So, yes, it's, it, it's getting there, and I think patients are also becoming more comfortable when it comes to asking and bringing it up. So I think that's a huge, huge improvement in how things are going right now. And thank you for asking. I think it's a great point. 
yeah. Janice, on that topic, how how does someone bring it up? Let's say you know you are going, like you said, your doorknob conversation. It's definitely for guys. It's the first thing on your mind. Might be the last thing you discuss, but it's top of the mind. What? How do you recommend? Like, how would I? How do you think I could bring it up with my doctor? Well. We can speak. First, if you're really shy, you can speak to your doctor in code. You can say to your doctor, I have something kind of personal to talk to you about. And most of them will get the message that that must have to do with sex, because generally it would. You can also say, I'm having trouble in the bedroom. Or could I speak to you about changes in my body that are affecting my marriage or affecting my relationship or affecting... Um, my sex life. And um, if you're really uncomfortable, you can mention it to a different healthcare professional. For example, the nurse who comes in, if they come in and they're taking your, your blood pressure and all that, you could say, could you please tell the doctor that I'd really like to talk about something related to my sex life. And they can give that heads up to the doctor so when the doctor comes in, they can set aside time for that. But hopefully the doctor is going to run through it also. But the big thing, the most important thing is to know that you deserve to have the sex life that brings you pleasure. And if you're having any challenges, any difficulty, there are options. There are treatments. There are wonderful treatments. And uh, it's, you deserve to have what you want. Now, it may not be the sex life you had when you were 16. It may not be what you had in your 20s because as we age, our bodies change. But you deserve to enjoy this portion of your intimate relationship with someone who you care about or just enjoy the pleasure of being with someone sexually. All right, and Benno, before, um, if you have another question, I'd love to hear it, but I want to ask you one too. You've been pretty outspoken about this topic of erectile dysfunction in the past on shows like We Life and other things. How did you kind of overcome a shyness or embarrassment around it that you could tell listeners? Oh, well, that's a, it's a big topic, but yeah, I, um, I just had erectile dysfunction for so long because I've had type one diabetes for like 30 years. And, uh, I just, you know, it's interesting when Janice was saying, Oh, well, you deserve to have that part of your life. Like I kind of just felt like, Oh, well, I have ED but I'm doing well with my eyes and I'm doing well with my feet. And that's the only complication I have. So I didn't talk about it. Like I was one of those people that didn't talk about it for like 10 years and just said, okay, well, I guess I'm not going to have any kind of conventional sex life. And then I, I was spurred to take action because I was trying different techniques to restore my sexual function. And I, I, may have developed or that may have spurred the development of something I had never heard of called Peyronie's disease, which is like a scarring. And my Peyronie's got really bad. And I went to a, what they call like a prosthetic urologist in New York, not because I wanted to have sex again, but just because I had this Peyronie's disease and I had never heard about penile implants until, until I spoke to him. And then I learned more about it. Um, with Janice and and I had one and it changed my, you know, it changed my life, but I don't know that I would have done it um, if I hadn't developed the Peronis. Like I was just sort of a basket case and just thought 
I'm not going to have sex in terms of living with diabetes. I'm okay with that because I'm still in good shape and I, you know, have, as I said, my legs and my eyesight and all this other stuff. Um, so I'm like one of those, I'm like one of those case studies of someone who lived with it for too long, but there was a happy ending. I have a son now. Um, and I have, you know, I had this penile implant, which was something I had never heard about. Uh, thank you for sharing that. I know our listeners are going to really appreciate hearing more about this. Can you stick around for a minute? We're going to take a quick break, musical break with Dean sure. Martin, and then we're going to come back and talk about cocktails and diabetes. I can always stay for Dean Martin. I can always stay for Dean Martin. Right, here. <laughs> <laughs> Me too. <laughs> All right, well, we're going to listen to Drinking Champagne by Dean Martin. You know, uh, he was seen with a highball glass in his hand on every TV show in, in Vegas. His whole life. So when we come back, we're going to find out how alcohol affects your blood sugars and hear more of our love line questions from you. Let's listen to Dean Martin now, courtesy of Sony Music. I'm drinking champagne and feeling no pain till early morning. Dining and dancing with every pretty girl I can find. I'm having a fling with a pretty young thing Till early morning Knowing tomorrow I'll wake up with you on my mind All right, we're back with Divey's Late Night Last couple, 15, 20 minutes with Janice Ro- Dr. Janice Roser, excuse me And Beto called in, so this is great All right, so Janice, we're going to talk about a little bit about alcohol and diabetes. You know, I've been following a lot of people on Instagram. A lot of people with type one say, uh, type one diabetes have these T-shirts that say, "I'm not drunk. I'm, I have diabetes." And I'm just curious to get to some answers regarding drinking and diabetes. And number one, does alcohol affect people with type one and type two diabetes differently? Um, well, what we know about alcohol and diabetes is that it can cause a similar significant drop in blood sugar um, that can come on quickly, unexpectedly, and cause the, the symptoms that would lead to producing those T-shirts. People can start to slur their words and can start to feel dizzy and whatever, and those who don't know who you are could think, well, you must be drunk, but in fact, you, uh, you know, they may think, you know, blood sugar, low blood sugar could have similar symptoms, and they may think that you're drunk because that's what we expect. But the thing is that um, alcohol, the main data about alcohol and type 2 diabetes is that it may have something to do with encouraging uh, the development of type 2 diabetes, uh, but not great, overwhelming data on that. The thing that we do know is that as a whole, with all people with diabetes, it can cause your body's ability to release blood sugar into the blood, the liver's ability to, um, to release blood sugar into your system, it slows that down. And that's why your blood sugar goes way down and it drops. Now, Sometimes you can get an initial high spike. So it'll 
all of a sudden go up and then go down kind of roller coaster. And also it depends what you drink. Again, doesn't matter if you have type one or type two. If you drink uh, alcohol, an alcohol drink beverage that has sugar in it, that has carbohydrates in it, like a sweet wine or a beer or a, maybe a mixer, then your blood sugar may actually go up because of the additional ingredients. So the thing is, we don't tend to separate type 1 and type 2 when it comes to alcohol. We have similar recommendations for, um, for what to drink and to be careful and to have it with food and to monitor your blood sugar when you have it and to, um, to limit your, your drink. Usually it's for men limiting their intake to two drinks a day. For women, it's... Um, uh, limiting to one drink a day, but again, watching yourself because each person's individual is an individual. Janice, and um, I love that it's great your feeling. Yeah, what do you think, Beno? I was just going to say, like I, I um, used to drink really heavily, like in college when I was first diagnosed with diabetes, or maybe like in the first five or ten years of diabetes, I was drinking a lot. Um, you know, by college, by college standards. And I can remember experiencing exactly what Janice was talking about. Like, initially it would go way up if I was drinking beer, but then it would crash. And then I can remember if I was like, if I had drank too much or I was hungover, the next day I would like have to eat. I think I was, I was not on an insulin pump back then, so I may have been taking like long-acting long insulin. But I can just remember, and again, this is like 25, 30 years ago, 25 yeah, it's 25 years ago. But I can remember the days the days after a night out, like I'd have to eat pizza or something. Like I couldn't raise – I just felt like I couldn't raise my blood sugar. You, you know, that definitely mm-hmm. happens because the effect of alcohol can last quite a long time. It's not just right away. It could last for hours. And not only that – when people drink, it alters their decision-making abilities. So they may start overeating. They may start eating things they would normally stay away from, and that can cause their blood sugar to climb and then roller coaster down also. So you may have where you might normally have a very small piece of cake and you know that that's appropriate for you. You may eat not only your cake, you may eat two more people's servings on their plates, and uh, and then have alcohol with it, and next thing you know, your blood sugar has soared way up into the stratosphere, and then you crash because of, you know, just kind of the sugar roller coaster riding. So the thing is, I think there's a place for alcohol if it's something that you want, as long as you don't have any type of problem with drinking, any type of addictive relationship with alcohol. But again, in moderation, and monitor your blood sugar level to make sure that you're managing yourself well and staying in a healthy range. All right. And we have one final question before we wrap up uh, tonight's episode. Janice, thank you so much for being a part of it. Brittany from Long Island wants to know if she could take off her pump during sex. And I also just added in, what about her boyfriend? Is the same advice you're going to give to Brittany apply to her boyfriend or husband? Okay. So, well, first of well, first of all, before I give the answer, I know I mentioned that YouTube series. I do have the name of it. It's called Sexplanations, and you would think I'd remember that title. Sexplanations, like explanations with an S in front of it. 
and that's the series by Dr. Lindsay Doe. For more sexual, and they're fun, they're entertaining. She wears silly costumes. It's it's a great series. Okay, um, I'm actually going to ask Benno. I know he he wears a pump, and I'm going to ask him if he has ever taken it off during sex. If I could ask such a personal question. Of course. You can, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> no, I have. I think it'll, and I'll tell you something else. If I was dating, I don't recommend this because I'm not so sensitive. So if I'm like off my pump for, I don't know, half an hour or something, um, I know I'm not going to go through the stratosphere. But yeah, I've taken it off. I, I've, I've like actually just like actually really removed it and taken out the cannula instead of just unhooking it. I've actually taken it off so that it's not there at all. Um, I will say most, like, certainly my, 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 my partner, my, my longtime partner, she doesn't really care about it, but I can totally understand some guys might want to take it off or at least unhook it because it's not, it's sort of Janice kind of taught me this. It's really not a, the woman probably doesn't care. You know, she might be curious, well, what is that? And it's no big thing. I mean, it's just diabetes. You just explain what it is. But I think for me, it sort of freaked me out. And so for me, in terms of feeling and the mood, whatever, I sometimes just felt better without it. So in terms of thanks, thanks, Benno. <laughs> in yeah, terms thank of you. safety, it's really remember sex is a physical activity. It is a, you can take off your pump for safely usually for up to an hour if you're going to reconnect or put it in again always uh, recheck your blood sugar and see if you need to give yourself uh, you know any type of extra insulin to get yourself back on track you know Um, but the main thing is that you have the freedom to take it off or keep it on and I know some people who keep it on actually name their pump and then the pump becomes a bit, an additional figure in the bedroom. And uh, a lot of pumps today don't have tubing. Some pumps do. And there was a chapter in a book that I wrote. We called it the, the tubing tango, how to have sex with your pump on. And, uh, you know, just having fun. You get tangled in it. And, you know, if you do leave it on and you accidentally Thanks. yank out the cannula, there might be bleeding, but it's not dangerous. You just take care of it and uh, do what you need to do uh, to to write things and clean up and put it back in. But, yes, just keep keep an eye on where your blood sugar is. Awesome. All right. Well, thank you so much. And, and Janice, thank you again for opening the love line tonight. Diva better. We're going to make it an annual thing now because you were just the last-minute guest and we got a few questions, but I know people have more. And if you have more questions, you could always email me at mrdivabedek at gmail, or you could post a question like Benno did on our Facebook pages, my personal one, or Divabedek's, and we'll make sure we get those to Janice. I want to thank all my guests for joining us tonight and being part of our podcast. Don't miss next month when we're playing Prince. Yeah, that's right. We're playing Prince and the new Power Generation Love Symbol album in, in celebration of the 30th anniversary since its release. Tomorrow night, we've got a baking party on Zoom with the diabetic pastry chef, 
as well as Catherine Schuler starting at 7 p.m. The information is on Eventbrite, and you can visit us, like I said, on our Facebook pages or YouTube channel to get more information. Remember, every diva and every dude has an entourage, and I'm so glad to be part of yours. Let's stay happy and healthy together. Dean Martin has one more song. I hope it has a fabulous Valentine's Day. Here's your nobody to your somebody. Thanks to Dean Martin. You'll always be the one I love Every hour, every day, every year You'll always be the one I love Through each smile, through each sigh, through each tear My heart will feel the same old glow Even though the stars may fade from above But I promise there will be No other arms for me You'll always be the one I love will feel the same old glow Even though the stars may fade from above I promise there will be no other arms for me You'll always be the one I love You'll always be the one I